What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show, presented by The Big Lead. What a week in sports, Aaron Rodgers. Back to reality, I think. Aaron Rodgers did a cleanup on aisle six. He is out of the center of the frame. He is still in the fire. I think all those questions go away this weekend if he can go on the field and defeat the Seattle Seahawks because nothing cures a PR crisis like winning in sports. What we're going to do today is going to be a little bit different. And I went through the archives, counted. I used my fingers and my toes, and I was able to deduce that this is my 42nd episode recorded on the Kyle Coster Show. And while there's nothing special about that number, I was surprised because it's a fair amount. It shows some regularity. The beginning episodes, if there are any of you who have been around since the beginning, Thank you. Thank you very much. It really means a lot to me. They were a bit more experimental. I was trying to do a different theme every single week. Over time, I think I leaned into the interview format with some narrative at the top, some quick takes, some revolving segments. But I realized that I don't think that I've ever reset at the top who I am, why I have this podcast, how I approach what I do each and every single day, the way I view sports, the people I work with. And it's a question I get so often at cocktail parties or baseball games or wherever I'm at is, what do you do? And I tell them, and what I always say is I work for a sports website or I manage a sports website. And then I might give the name, I'll say the big lead and 15 to 20% success rate or people that pretend to know what I'm talking about. You're the kindest people on earth, the salt of the earth. It's always noticed. It's always appreciated the effort to smooth out the awkwardness, but I largely have to follow up with an explanation of what we do. I thought it would be the perfect time to give you a peek behind the curtain into the, some of the thought process into some of the thought process at work here at the big lead. A lot of that comes from myself uh, as a role in my role as a veteran presence. I am the second longest standing member of the team here. The most consecutive games played, I believe I will have to check the official record books. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on a, 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 a Ripken like streak here. And I was trying to figure out the way to do this in the least myopic way, even though it's a very myopic topic. And it dawned on me that we have a podcast in the Minute Media Network under the big lead banner that does precisely this thing called the Press Pass with my coworker, Liam McCune. And in it, he talks to media members about 
their journey to get where they are, the things that they've learned, their approach, and basically just a long sit down conversation you'd have over a beer or a couple falafels and really just gets into it. And if you're like me and you're like us, then that makes a lot of sense why you would be listening to this podcast, but leaning into the nerdery of it, leaning into the details, wanting to figure out some of the minutia, things like that, and have some fun. Because one of the reasons I think that so many of us who have come to the big lead stayed here throughout the years believed is that the people who are telling the stories are just as interesting as the stories that they're telling. And while that may not be the case for myself, I'm not so sure how often we've ever turned the camera around and pointed it at the big lead and try to give you our perception of where we're at in 2021 after a decade and a half in the sports blogosphere, which again, you want to talk about another Ripken-like streak. We are the cockroaches. Um, that's a very pejorative thing. Uh, but we survived the nuclear blast so many times of competitors and largely, honestly, superior ones going by the wayside. We are still here. It means a lot to us. So after this, after I figured out a way to stop rambling, we're going to bring Liam in and he's going to conduct this like he would his press pass. And then that'll give you the opportunity to see what he's doing over there. Like, subscribe, review, all that stuff. And we'll just talk about the big lead and matters at hand. I am Liam McEwen, as previously mentioned by Kyle, and I am here to conduct a press pass style interview. As always, the press pass interview starts with a general open-ended question about how the individual in question, here it is Kyle, gets into this industry, but in particular to what Kyle wants to talk about and what the purpose of this particular podcast is today. My simple question for Kyle is merely, how did you get to the big leap? Yeah, so I knew what I wanted to do uh, when I was six years old, and that was to be a professional baseball player. And then I also knew when I was nine years old what I wanted to do after abandoning that dream. I wanted to write about professional baseball players. I understood that there was a way for me to get to the majors. It just wouldn't be on the field. It would be announcing or covering or writing or working on television, something like that, that got me access to that. And I had a proclivity to wanting to be the center of attention. I always like to read. I always like to write. So it was a natural fit for me to want to be in sports journalism. And that desire never faded. Um, and by the time I was a senior in high school, it was pretty much decided what I was going to do. I was going to major in journalism. I went to Michigan State, went through that program there. Like everybody else, after my ninth semester, I, kind, I was kind of staring down the barrel of emptiness with no prospects and no real way to get where I wanted to go. And I moved back home. And I remember searching Craigslist when Craigslist was a major way that people found jobs and running into so many dead ends there and mirages and pyrites and pyramid schemes. Uh, it, was, it was a wild place back in 2007. And I eventually had a connection who knew someone at the Chicago Sun-Times who said that they could pull a few strings for me and get me a meeting with this person. And I didn't expect it to be um, a major thing, but I had moved down to Chicago deciding, look, I'm just going to stake my claim out anyway, uh, work at some sporting goods stores, umpire kickball and softball games, uh, tend bar a little bit, just kind of like make some money on the side. I wasn't expecting this thing as it sometimes to ever be a real thing. I went in, there was a nice 20 minute conversation and he was the managing editor of the paper at the time. And I guess what, what happened is he got me on the prep desk uh, for covering high school sports and it paid $10 an hour. And I worked maybe 18 hours a week as much as I could. So I wasn't exactly banking in money, but allowed me the opportunity to answer phone calls and basically take down scores uh, for a bunch of high schools that I didn't know. But it got my foot in the door at 
a, a newspaper of national renown. I remember watching early edition uh, with uh, Kyle Chandler, uh, where he gets the paper earlier that took part at the Sun-Times. So it was a big thrill for me. They filmed around the horn. I knew Sun-Times from Jay Mariotti. So I was there for a few years and I basically kind of availed myself to the sports department as a whole saying, hey, do you need any help over here in sports? And at that time, the internet was such a small part of what newspapers were doing that anybody young and anybody with initiative could get in on the online side. Cause it was like, how do we augment our print product with something that updates in real time and is, you know, in this century. So I didn't know anything about coding or HTML and all that stuff, but it was, I had the willingness to do it and they weren't going to ask some of the older people in the newsroom to do it uh, for better or worse. Through that opportunity, I just said yes to every single opportunity. Uh, I got to, I would work during the day and then I would go cover either the Cubs or the White Sox at night, a lot of long hours. Um, but I just loved being in the newsroom and seeing my name in print. So when I was at the Sun-Times, my buddy, Kevin, who worked on the web desk with me, we had the idea because we read all these things. We read Deadspin, we read the big lead. We read Fan House. We read all those things of the time. And we thought, well, not only is that the style of writing that we wanted to do, we figured it would be smart to actually write for an audience and try to like capture clicks instead of just putting articles that had appeared in the newspaper in that same form on the web. So we got the green light to kind of try it, just writing about whatever was trending, copying a lot of the things that the sports blogs were doing copying it well sometimes, copying it poorly. Another, it was a, there was a lot of friction as something that was new being sold in old media. Um, and it was a new way of doing things. So I wouldn't say that it was always particularly smooth. We made a couple big mistakes. There were a couple lumps we were looked down on for what we were doing, but it was always trying to better the company at its core, in addition to giving ourselves a larger voice out there. So my first blogging experience was the blog I started for a newspaper, because that was also a shortcut to be, look, I want to have a column someday. Look, here's a way I can have a column under this masthead. I can create a space for me to write a column. A lesson I learned from that going forward as I jumped around after the newspaper was that you could create any type of space that you want and that editorial creativity and editorial freedom is something that is so tremendously important to me and i think a lot of people that the name outside the door doesn't matter as much as what you do with the opportunity so i started to kind of look for ways to be in sports journalism without working for a traditional outlet and I reached out to Ty Duffy, who worked at the big lead at the time, kind of made a connection there, had a conversation with him, uh, became friendly. And I think he offered me to like, come on and maybe try out on a weekend. In those days, there was weekend bloggers. That was basically you babysat the website. Uh, and he kind of put in a good word for me with Jason McIntyre. And I, I did a few Saturdays, I remember the first game that was like a Wisconsin buzzer beater. Uh, and I was very, very nervous about the whole experience. But once I started writing for the big lead, I realized that I was coming into an existing audience, one that cared about the product, because in that time, the comment section was extraordinarily vibrant. And they had built uh, a community that really cared about each and everything that was on the site. And I realized how special that was and how rare that was to have that two-way communication. And I also was able to ascertain that the big league had an audience of sports media members and people who were in it that mattered, that read it and cared about it. So I saw the appeal of having a quality audience as well as having a quantitative audience. And it really, once I got a taste of like, look, this is a playground where you get exactly out of it what you put in, as hard as you want to work, as many connections as you want to make, as big of a swing you want to take for a piece of writing, 
you're going to be able to do it. You want to start podcast, a video, anything through those years. I mean, Jason McIntyre essentially built this place and then built himself into legacy media at, at Fox Sports. And that's because he took every single opportunity and door that this opened kind of like from scratch that he did. And I think that a lot of us older people who have worked here saw that and kind of tried to replicate that and treat it as maybe a minor league system for a larger role with a national audience down the line. And you know how some people would rather go to a triple A game or a double A game than a major league baseball game. I think that there's part of that appeal with the big lead because it has character. It's the edges aren't smoothed down all, all the way. And there's the opportunity where you can just kind of write for your audience, be you just have fun with it and not necessarily hear the heckles and the jeers and all of that. Because I think that one thing that the site has done uh, sometimes not perfectly, but overall, I think that we've been able to respond to the general vibe of what's going on and what's acceptable. But more than that, I think that we've done it in a way, at least in the last decade, that has been like fairly compassionate and reasonable and more than anything fair and, and without a ton of the snark if, if where it's not warranted, it's nice to me because I do think that there's like a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of a sap at heart and I'm kind of okay with like the nice stuff that we do because largely I think that I think of us as a conduit to say, hey, this person is doing something that's really good. This entity is doing something that's really good. This show's cool. You should check it out. It's kind of like a word of mouth for sports media. And I really enjoy that role because what better joy is there? You know, like if you have a friend and you tell them, hey, you should check out this series and someone likes it, you know, like you feel good about that too. So it's about identifying people who are possibly more talented than myself and maybe you feel this as well. I don't, I've never asked your feelings on it, but just saying, hey, look, we should appreciate this person because they're doing X, Y, and Z well uh, without totally going in the tank and, and saying uh, everything that this outlet or that person does is perfect and they're beyond fair criticism. So you're the managing editor now of the Big League after starting off as a weekend blog boy, as it were. And things have changed a lot since then, both in sports in the sports blogging sphere, as you put it, and for the big lead itself, which has undergone pretty dramatic transformations over the last 15 years of its existence. So now in this new era of sports media where sports blogs like the big lead are somewhat commonplace, but very few have been around for as long as the big lead has. What do you view as the big lead's role in this new sports media sphere? I think the big lead's role is to be the big lead. I don't think that there's any larger calling to that. We kind of have survived a tremendous amount of attrition and seen a lot of competitors go by the wayside. And I don't say that in a I'm glad they're gone or celebrating, or even that, like I said, again, it was completely, it's completely warranted or the cream rose to the top. I think it's just comes from a matter of, I think that my feelings are come from a place of like, just being happy to be someplace that has an identity and allows writers to write in first person and to have a personality and to use sarcasm and to experiment with posts from different disciplines or to try something out. The spirit of blogging, it, blogging got such a bad rap. And I think now when I say blog, you know, it's such an antiquated term that I know I sound like I'm hundred years old, but there were so many cool things about the era because it was kind of like a revolution in writing, in my opinion, where you could you know, when they made ESPN two and everything was in like lowercase letters and funny things and they were wearing leather jackets. Like, I guess it was a version of that where it's kind of like the ESPN two, 
where, hey, we have a little bit of a different flair to us. We will allow you to see us even with our biases from our fandom or for the takes that we have to have, hey, this person thinks X, Y, Z about this, to have a personality. Aspirationally, I think our, our role in, in place is to be a fair arbiter and capture what's going on like in the sports media zeitgeist at the time fairly and accurately. And there is a good amount of thought that goes on about the people that we feature, why we feature them. We write a lot of posts about people that we don't really like or care about their content, but if they move the needle, well, then they're important to the conversation and their comments on the topic are going to represent a large swath and percentage of what people took in on the topic. So I think our role is to capture the day-to-day record of kind of what's going on in the sports talking head sphere, as well as what's going on in the sports world. I've said this many times, you know, like in meetings with the team, I think that the big lead is sort of like a national or local radio where we have a dozen or five, whatever it may be on that day, kind of like sports radio topics on certain things, 600 words, 700 words, just a nice round opinion, something between like a short monologue and a, and a column. It's very, we all like sports and the ability to have an opinion, an authoritative one, hopefully, because we do care about getting it right and not looking stupid. And I think we don't write things that we don't believe in largely. I think that that's really important. It's a really important itch to scratch. And if you're going to be covering people who are dealing in sports, then I think you also have to put a little of your own skin in the game in terms of like analyzing what's going on because they're doing the work. They're coming up with thoughts on the Denver Nuggets or the Denver Broncos or even teams outside of Denver if they exist. So I think that like you have to do a little bit of the work that the media members we cover do on your own in order to be able to offer commentary on it. Because I found out through my years and I've never been the harshest critic or toughest judger anyway. But once I do something and see how hard it is, I just appreciate how good almost everybody I see on television and radio is when they're doing it. And I want to use that kind of epiphany that I've had just kind of like on the front end to everybody who says, oh, this person sucks. They're no good. X, Y, Z. It's like, well, did you ever try it yourself? Do you know how difficult it is? And you know how difficult it is to like do it day after day after day and then ascend to a level where you can do it on the level that people are going to be getting their spears and pitchforks out for you every single day. Like it takes a special type of talent. So I guess that's kind of a long winded answer about all the, as they're all going to be probably in this conversation, but I kind of think like that's what our role is. So when you were speaking, you mentioned the sports media zeitgeist, and that is the currency in which the big lead deals. That's always been the case. And that is now the case in 2021 each and every day we attack what is the rocking subject the rolling subject in the sphere of sports media but i would imagine that our readers and those who have been loyal to the site are a little curious as to how we would determine what the sports zeitgeist is of the day so as far as a day-to-day basis go how do you as the managing editor sort of try to map out the various paths that the sports media zeitgeist takes Well, here's what I found. I found that like trying to manage a cohesive content plan day to day has never been what a sports blog ever did. Sports blogs, and and I do think about this a lot, and there are certain things that we've done about keeping the roundup alive, Stephen Douglas coming back. I- Stephen. (laughs) I try really hard to like think about ways to remain true in some form to like what the vision was for the website and how the website was nine years ago and the things that attracted to 
me to it in the in the first place. So I think that trying to lay out a set plan and micromanage about what we're going to write about, how we're going to steer the conversation of the day is a bit of a losing proposition. I think that it ruins some of the spontaneity of it. There's a giant problem that's been going on for a long time where there's an assignment editor by Twitter, like people just stay on Twitter and try to figure out what they want to write about that day, that second. And that's kind of largely how we do it. But the way to, I think that we improve it is we talk about it a little bit internally and get some feedback on the idea, not too much feedback, but basically like if we, something out there started a conversation in our Slack channel, to me, that's a good post because that's a representative sample of whether something is interesting or not. Now, is it going to be just interesting to the 2% of people who might want to read about sports media as opposed to LeBron James, maybe, but for the people who do, usually we can get a pretty good sense if there's any meat on the bone internally and try to come up with a way to present it as if other people are doing it, what's a way we can do it differently? Because we have the ability to do that if we want. And there's no playbook. Like we don't have to write it like an associated press story. It can be a first person thing. It could take any different form. Largely, we have people coming off social media or, or remembering to come to our site the old school way through typing it in the URL, but they're leaving where they are to check out what we have to say about it. Now, if it's a fight video or something that would be lowest common denominator, maybe they don't care what we have to say about it. But if they're coming to our website, why don't we give them a look into what we do each and every single day? by putting our own personality on it, by trying to attack it from a different angle. I don't see any harm in chasing the same stuff that everybody else is doing, which is largely what blogs have always done for 90% of their posts if we do it in our own unique way. Because I think that's what has always been a differentiator. And now there's some longer term stuff that we work on including our Voices series, which interviews people and writes like a magazine style piece about what they do in the industry. Well, those are something, those are planned out longer in advance, but no, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there, the idea that there aren't a lot of constraints and expectations about what a post needs to be, what a typical day needs to be. Honestly, I feel like that's part of the reason why this job is appealing because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it sounds really fun and it is really fun, but there is a grind like element to it of every single day, putting something out there. And as everybody knows who either works in sports or doesn't work in sports, some days you're feeling good. Some days you're not feeling good. Some days you're feeling lazy and some days you're feeling inspired. So it's all about kind of like a marathon for us. And 90% of that is going to be reacting to something much like a sports talk radio show would react and then talk about it the next day. So what you all said is true and there, but there is a reality, you know, there is a reality that we have this platform that we can use to speak our thoughts on and people will come to it because either they're interested in the topic or they're interested in hearing what we say, but there is the aspect that sometimes if there's stuff that we just have to write because we know that it'll pay the bills and keep the lights on and things of that nature. So as the guy who's in charge of dictating kind of how everybody on the website toes that line, how do you view that? I'm of two schools of thought about it because on one hand, it's not very fulfilling to write something that you don't care about, that you feel is kind of only doing for clicks, which we do. Like you got us, everybody who's ever said clickbait uh, for a specific topic on the big lead. I don't know if you're right in that instance, but yes, the goal has always been to get people to come to the website. It's a crucial part of the business model for not only our site, but almost all of them. So yes, yeah, we are trying to get people to uh, you know, be served ads. That's the nefarious scheme. 
but on the other hand, you know, it's not, I'm not asking people to, um, you know, climb a mountain or erect a suspension bridge. It's, uh, you know, like pretend you work at TMZ for 15 to 20 minutes. I think you'll, I think you'll get over it. Now I'm cognizant of like, I don't want people doing that all the time or even getting in the habit of like only doing that because then I think that we, then I think like the overall picture of what we do gets a little bit blurry. And I think that people don't feel fulfilled doing that. And then they don't want to challenge themselves to do something that not only is like involves more thought, but you know, is, should be what they want to do. I get the worst thing in the world is seeing someone get into a rut of, Hey, I have to do this because it's going to drive traffic because this is how we stay relevant all that stuff because they're not doing it for, and this is a reality TV show cliche. So I'm sorry, the right reasons. Like I honestly want people to do it for the right reasons. Like I want people to be writing about sports or a topic that they're interested in because it inspires their interest. So I think the moment where you make it feel like a job, it feels like a job. And for as long as you can trick people into not realizing that they're doing your job, you're going to get more, productive employees but there are many 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 things that i've written that have just been like hey we have a certain quota of clicks that we should probably get today in order to make sure that we have a good looking financial sheet because you know being in this industry as long as i have which is not forever but 15 years like you know very well that it can all feel a bit like a squid game and you don't really want to like relax for one minute, but no, it's, I think that, I think that what's great about it is that forever there's always been, it's always been a really small staff here that has led to the ability for uh, a team atmosphere to foster and grow because you're so reliant on the other person. And it's been like that since I've come on where there's not a stable of people in the bullpen to come in and, and take over. It's, it's your staff. And if people aren't pulling their weight, then it's going to no, be noticed by the bottom line. And it's also going to be noticed because there's so few people that there's no place to hide. So, you know, it can be a blessing and it can be uh, a curse. So we've talked a lot about the big lead and it being around forever. And, you know, especially in your opening monologue there, there was a lot of focus on the loyal fan base that the big lead built up through the comments section, through simply being a blog back when blogs were a rare and new entry into the sports media world that provided a unique angle and perspective to things. And as we have talked about, and you have talked about, and I've said, Things have changed a lot in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And you now preside over what probably a lot of regular uh, audience members would define as kind of a new look big league, where we changed the look of the website. We changed our content management system. We've shuffled through a couple different employees already. We added me, for example. Good so, hire. Good hire. <laughs> good hire. I mean, I've stuck around this long. But um, as... You know, as these things have changed, I mean, what what do you see just for the benefit of the people who listen, who care enough to listen to this podcast? I'm sure they'd be very interested. What do you see as kind of the big leads target audience and what you hope to be? What is our fan base going forward since it looks so much different than it did even five years ago? Well, the target audience is for anybody who wants to be our audience. Like you don't turn away customers at the door. Um, I am always thrilled to see how many people are coming for the first time um, and to see that the returning numbers go up month to month, because that means people who came for something came back. And I think that like getting that second visit is such a hard thing to do, like not just in media, but a business, right? Like it's tough, you know, to hey, I like this place enough that I will see what else they have out there, especially at a time where there's never been more options. There's no shortage of ways to be entertained. I'm always surprised and I'm always happy to hear from people because I think in a lot of ways that it, it can feel like a black box when you are not like uber popular online and that nobody's out there. But I really do hear 
more offline from people that they've checked something out that I've written or they know what the site is or they thought something was humorous or they listen to a podcast, anything like that. The amount of people that I run into like in real life who might know my name or what I do and tell me that they liked something or they read something like that feedback is really, really awesome. And at a certain point, we kind of, we lost that with losing the comment section and everybody just went over to social media anyway. But I certainly hope that people who are, who have been longtime fans are still enjoying it for the reasons why they first came. And maybe that's out of habit. Maybe it's just checking in once a day to see if we've written about any of their friends. The, the real thing that sets our audience apart from many others is the positions that they're in. And I don't know if this is strengthened or weakened over time. My thought would be maybe slightly weakened, but it is still a place that matters to people who are in the industry, making decisions about the industry, people that I talk to in the course of my reporting who are familiar about stuff that we've done or at the very least understand that we're going to be fair, that we are reputable, like we are a player in this space that is not in it to, you know, almost not in it to leverage their name or the story for clicks. It's more about like just doing it because we've always been doing it. And I think that the media stuff, when Jason started it, was so smart because it set him apart. Now, is that what he intended for the most people to come in and check out? No, but what he was able to do was cultivate an audience that would come to the big lead for their media news or their entertainment news or to see something that was interesting, a clip, and kind of like serve as that content curator for you. And I know that everybody thinks that they can be their own content curator. But the value I think is that people who work in this industry still understand that there's a value in having an editor, a curator that pulls, Hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see that? I can't tell you how many times I'm listening to a national radio show and they'll talk about a clip that was posted on our site. And I'm not talking about like the small stuff, but the really niche stuff that I know that was not out there until we put it out and they reference it and it becomes a talking point. I think what's cool is that in a lot of ways, the job can serve as a companion for another person's pre-production meeting or to see what others are doing. That's a cool idea. When we post those good morning football clips, for instance, Anytime that show does something that's awesome and they do it a lot, I feel like we put it out there because we like that they take chances and we appreciate that there are really talented people working out there. And I think by flooding the zone with stuff like that, maybe you inspire others to step up their game as well. And then the viewers as a whole benefit. You know, I, I genuinely care what people out there think about the site, if they like the site, if they want to just tell us how much we suck. I mean, that's fine too. Uh, I can't imagine you would be tuning in. If, if you disliked it, you'd probably just go elsewhere and that's fine. That's fine too. But I, I, I have said this in conversation to so many different people that I am really happy to be doing what we do. And it does kind of mean a lot to me. And I mean, and it means a lot to me because I think that I'm tremendously lucky to be able to do it. I've worked really, really hard to stay in the game this long, I guess I would say, uh, stave off elimination. And I just think that it's awesome that we get to do this each and every single day. And I want to do it in a way that is largely positive, that is my own way and allow everybody who works for the big lead and the big lead to kind of like be synonymous with a place where you can 
carve out whatever lane you want to. You know, as everything gets more and more corporate and smoothed over, uh, and, and we work for a great company that is not small in the grand scheme of things in, in Minute Media, they've been great about letting us keep our playground the way we want to keep it. And I look around and I think that that's really increasingly rare. And there's almost something a little bit quaint about it. I think it's worth preserving and riding for as long as is possible. I, I'm kind of like shocked on one hand that, you know, like this is what we get to do. But I also wonder like, why aren't more people doing it? Like the big lead was an example of someone creating something out of from nothing and, you know, building it to a place where it was just like financially viable for it to exist. And I think that that's really impressive and that's really awesome. Part of that involves being in conversation with the people who are consuming the content. I've never said it. Well, I just, and you know, I've certainly never had the ability to say that with such length on any type of platform. And it is kind of like something out of left field that you wouldn't hear a lot of places doing it. But I've had this conversation with so many people. And at a certain point, it was just like, you know what? It would be great to just, you know, share that message and in appreciation for people who are sticking with us, who are checking us out for the first time, who got here through whatever avenue, we should be focusing on that group of people. And, and hopefully like that's going to improve what I do, what we do, and hopefully the enjoyment of the people who are uh, consuming this free product. You ever think it's weird? Just this kind of niche that the big lead occupies its space in. I mean, you know, some days the big lead will be peppered with basic sports articles and doesn't take a smart person to understand the appeal there. But the big lead was founded upon this extreme, as you say yourself, uh, Jason founded this upon this extremely niche group of people who not only cared about sports, but who cared a lot about the people who talk about it and then what happens to those people and how the companies that employ those people operate and the sort of inner workings of the entire industry and sometimes i myself wake up in the morning feeling kind of like a, not in an existential way but almost in a bemused way like what am i doing like what this is such a such an odd niche that many people i think don't realize exists so do you feel the same way yeah i mean none of it really makes sense none of it really makes sense the journalists being interested in other journalists and liking gossip stuff. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And I think that he was ahead of the curve in a lot of ways into largely like now there's a lot of competitors in that space, but he was largely ahead of the curve because he was kind of like breaking some of the traditional rules, but no, I mean, yeah, there's the, the absurd stuff, the, the post we write, I believe there was one time, like, Last year, I think I wrote a headline that was just like, he stormed the beaches at Normandy. The Los Angeles Clippers mascot thanked him with a wet willy or something like that. And, like, and just, I'm like, what am I doing? And like, and yeah, do I ever wonder like, why am I not uh, solving the global climate crisis? Yeah, sure. And would there be some joy in doing something that left a, a bigger legacy or maybe impacted people more uh, immediately. Sure. But how cool is it and how fortunate do you have to feel to be like, Oh God, I got paid to do this. At a certain point, like maybe I think that I honestly think that that's kind of like, where does that feeling come from that? Like you're devaluing the work. That's a little bit off the beaten path. That's quirky. That is silly. Like, was not the skill to understand what people enjoy looking at online to give them something to laugh about during their day or say, Hey, that's weird. Or to stick out in their mind, something that they can browse over to absentmindedly and, and, and check out. Like that's the job. That's what we do. So yeah, the entire situation is weird, but not weird when you consider like the broader context of we're programming a channel at a time where people have unlimited channels to look at, what can we put on there that might draw them in? And I think that 
being able to make jokes and being able to make bad jokes and to fail and to write stuff that is bad and to make mistakes within reason, like that's part of the artistic and the creative process. And I don't know. I don't know if people enjoy that, if they care about that, but I think that it's evident and obvious from the outside and you run across that when that gets picked up by like a third party app that sends it out to people who aren't familiar with your sensibilities and, and what you do. And you, you get the notes and the, your mentions turn into a fire because they just don't understand the premise of who you are and what place you're coming from. Yeah, that happens. But you know what, to me, that's funny too, because I don't think what we do is necessarily like art and created uh, creating art, but in a way, I think that it's a bit of a performance and you know, that, that comes with it. And I think like, you should be thankful to be able to like have that in your repertoire, because I don't think that anybody comes and writes for us and certainly not anymore. I don't think all time, I think everybody has kind of got the gig when they come in, what it means is like, okay, you're going to be a character, not an outsized character and certainly nowhere near the popularity of like the barstool world, but it's just like, okay, this is going to be your feed you are a human being writing this. So you're going to have to show your humanness. And part of that is going to be your sense of humor because it's pretty impossible to not at least be able to like appreciate humor and work for us because there's a, like a not insignificant element of that in like what we do day to day. As the managing editor and the guy who largely dictates what the big lead is about in collaboration with our editor-in-chief, Brian Jufra. What does the audience have to look forward to coming from the big lead? Well, I think I have a simple answer for that. And it's what we've always been doing. It's what we've always been doing, but it'll also change in ways that will be unexpected. And I don't think that we can ever sit and broadcast out because we are reactive. We don't know how things are going to turn. Like, do you remember, like, just for a thought exercise, remember, like, at the apex of the pandemic, what our mood was on the site, what our personality was on the site, how much fun we were having on the site. The answer, not very much, right? It was a very somber, very serious thing. So I think that that reflected what was going on. So I don't think that there's any master plan to like figuring out, hey, we're going to go A to B, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, because we are going to try to remain malleable. I would say that I'm really happy with how our podcasts have been doing and the regularity that we've been doing them. It's like I mentioned before, it's been really great to do this one. Liam with your press pass one, which is again, the format that this one is under. And I really encourage people to go check that out. He speaks to people who are interesting and not me. So there's a selling point right there. And then also best of seven where you and I are, you know, picking football games and Stephen and I are talking about succession. I think that we have gotten to a place where we started thinking about ourselves as not just people who are writing, trying to figure out how to capture an audience in any different way. And I think that like, where we go next will be dictated in some way of what we hear from the people who care enough to tell us. And, you know, I see the numbers. I see the numbers on these podcasts. I see the numbers on the site you know, we're not talking about scores of millions of people. Um, but we're talking about people like people listen, and enough, hopefully enough of those people care to give us the feedback. And it will be, you know, it will be listened to. And it does mean a lot to us. Uh, and we want to know more about you. So I would say that we're going to keep doing what we've been doing for as long as I'm here, which I intend to be here for quite a while, because I do think that said it over and over and over, it probably sounds like a broken record at this point. I think the setup of being able to be myself and for you to be you and everybody on the team to do this job in the way they want to do it, it's better than the alternative. And I think that that ecosystem brings about work that is value added and kind of like posit a positive impact in most people's lives. 
which is which, which is what we're trying to be uh, and, and remain at a time where it's very easy to be cynical and sardonic and just ruined by the entire online experience. I am really happy that I think everybody who worked here is is everybody who works here is largely in a really good mental place for spending 11, 12 hours online each and every single day. So I think, you know, the in summation, it would be, you know, kind of keep this uh, Ripken like streak that we've been having as a sports blog, which I got to say, you know, 15 years of roundups, 15 years of posts each and every single day. It's pretty incredible when you sit back and, and think about it. And it's been done with a really small staff. So this is by no means a victory lap or celebration or a giant pat on our own backs. But I do think that it's really cool to like just take stock and reintroduce what we do and why we do it and, and give a little bit of a more complete picture of the thought process that goes into this stuff to you, the listener. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.